this podcast is for kinky adults only and those of you that might be curious. So this is a good opportunity because, uh, you know, not only uh, do I enjoy talking to people who are uh, from other countries who mm-hmm. have kink experience in different areas, um, but also just hearing your general like experience. Mm-hmm. Um, were you born and raised in Singapore? Yes, yes. For me, I was born and raised in Singapore. And how does one come upon kink in Singapore? Because before we started talking, you said it's fairly conservative. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you discover kink in, in a conservative area? So in Singapore, as a very traditional Asian country raised by values of Confucianism as well as other religious influences, Singapore is a very conservative society and our sex education maybe you can talk a bit more about that later but our sex education has always been focused on preventing STDs and about preventing unwanted pregnancies and it's not geared towards helping adults navigate their sexuality so when I was growing up my family was always very harsh about sex I just was raised up thinking that sex was just for reproduction and it was and and again, for just like many of us, I stumbled upon pornography first through the internet. So there was right. and my first touch points with King with BDSM was actually through the internet. And how I actually got involved in BDSM was through color space. Maybe that should give you an reference on how old I am. <laughs> sure. Color space, as well as I uh, back then it was called Color Me, as well right. as um, Craigslist. So I mean, so yes. so, so yeah. Th- oh, I'm was familiar with Color Space and Color Me. I, I was I was on Color Me for a long time. I sent my wife mm-hmm. a message on Color Me. Oh wow! Year, you know, years and years ago, ignored, completely ignored my message uh, on Color Me. So. Uh, Somehow, I don't know how I got lucky later, but but yes, my first my first interaction with her was a, a message that she just completely ignored on calling me. So yes, well, you have a much um, more interesting story like, than mine. <laughs> well, I, w- I wouldn't say that. We're, we're very early in the conversation. I wouldn't I wouldn't make that judgment quite yet. <laughs> I'd like to hear hear a bit more about that though. But so so, yeah. how, 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 so you you saw, but but something must have sparked inside you when you discovered like what was it was it like a was it a fetish gear was it a, an activity you saw like someone being spanked or tied up or what was it that you you saw that was the first do you remember the first mm, exposure okay. okay so maybe let's rewind a bit back from this coming color space as for me i grew up in a dual income family so in singapore that would mean that i come back from school at about 2 p.m. and I'll be basically left alone and 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 even on weekends when my parents had to work, especially on Saturdays, they would just turn on the cartoons and just leave me alone at home. And mm-hmm. and that was the childhood that I raised up in. I mean, I had parents who provided for me financially and I'm very appreciative for that. Paid for everything right. that I would need to, to graduate from college to get a good degree. But emotionally, they weren't always around for me. So sure. I grew up in my earlier childhoods through elementary school and middle school looking for a figure who would be there for me, someone that I could depend on physically and emotionally. And that gave me 
like many people a daddy that gave me some sort of daddy issues or mommy issues. Sure. And I grew up looking for a partner in my earlier teenage days, longing for somebody who would take care of me, take care of my emotional needs to be there for me emotionally when I had issues to rent. And when I eventually stumbled upon pornography, of course, there were some instances of BDSM porn that intrigued me. But color space was a new world together because it means that I could, that would actually marry the part of me that needed a daddy figure and to satisfy the king side in me. So when right. I summer about color space, I was actually quite interested to look for a daddy dom figure there. And that was right. how I think it got started. Um, do you identify as dom sub switch right now? Or how do you normally identify now? So back then when I started off, I started off as a submissive actually. So that was about 10, 11, uh, 11, 11, 12 years ago. I started off as a submissive. And back then I was about 18 when I stumbled upon color space. And okay, like like what our parents would tell us, the internet is a dangerous place. Don't go around meeting strangers on the internet. And as a teenager, you definitely will not take that advice. Right. And of course... Right. As a teenager, I didn't know that the internet was such a dangerous place. Sure. Like, you know, the thing about color space and even for many people now in the community can say was that color space was a dangerous place. You right. do not know who are the people behind the screen. You do not know whether or not the doms there are verified by the community. For all you know, the person behind the screen could actually be a catfisher. Like, yeah, even for you, you can you can say that you are an 18-year-old college girl selling her panties for money and people will really send you money to buy you a panties. Right. <laughs> and, right, right. <laughs> oh, oh, I I mean I experienced I I experienced a lot of I still experience a lot of catfishing. It still happens today. I mean it's still very, very, very common. Um so so you 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 went on, you were a teenager, you were looking for a Dom. Mm -hmm. Is that is that because you um the activities of a submissive the being tied up mm -hmm. were appealing to you or uh, because you hadn't experienced it yet or was it just the idea of someone taking care of you what was the what was the appeal at the time the appeal for me was definitely to try something new this form of forbidden forbidden sex that textbooks and families and societies don't talk about there was right. a certain appeal of being tied up or being vulnerable that actually attracted me and me wanting to do it in the hands of a daddy dom who also take care of me, that was that had a particular appeal as to why I was on color space and looking through Craigslist, looking for this daddy dom figure. So I like what I was talking about that color space was not a community like Fat Life or like Twitter that is verified and functional by the community. So when I started looking for DOMs on color space, the first few instances weren't actually perfect. Because I didn't didn't know what are red flags to look out for. I didn't know some right. I didn't know anyone within the King scene to tell me for tell me that, oh, you are looking for a new dom. These are the things that you should look out. These are red flag, these are yellow flag. How how you should negotiate things. So I I I can share with you the experience of my first session. It was a dom. Uh, he saw me not only as a sub, but he saw me as someone new with the potential to sexually groom me to something that he wanted me to be. And, and of course, there was instances of consent violation and 
maybe some trigger right. warning here was that there was this particular session that I had with him. I think that was about the third and fourth session that there were things that we negotiated for. That was fine. So I he came to me, there was bondage, he tied me up, there was face slapping, there was humiliation, there was rough sex. And all these were fine with me because these were the things that I said I wanted to try. I, I negotiated for this. That was fine. However, at the end of the session, he wasn't pleased with my performance. Maybe because he thought that I disobeyed his orders or maybe he thought that I didn't give a good, a good blowjob, but I, I'm pretty sure that I did quite a good job with the letter, but <laughs> that's kidding. That's kidding. That's a lot of point. Right. So, so at the end of the session, he wasn't pleased with my performance. He he drew a circle in the corner of his room. He told me to kneel down inside the circle. So he took his laptop, he opened Skype, pointed his laptop towards me and said that if you step out of the circle, I'll see you through Skype and then I will come back and punish you again if you step out of the circle. So I, and then after that, he actually left the house for about an hour. And as a new sub back then, I was afraid to actually step out of the circle because my dom gave me a direct order to not step out of the circle. And I was just left there in his room, kneeling down in the corner for one hour, about one hour until he came back, until he came back home. And to me, that I didn't know that there was actually a consent violation. Like, I didn't know that. I thought that a sub meant that a sub had to obey his dom's orders. If a dom wanted to punish me, I had to take it. As a sub, my role was to obey and to listen. And if I did something wrong, I deserved to be punished. I didn't know that that was actually a consent violation. I didn't know that that was actually something that a dom shouldn't do. For example, you shouldn't leave a sub unattended at your house where access to water, food, or security. That's more of a consent violation. That's more of an abuse rather than how right. proper BDSM should be like. And growing up, because I had no point of references in BDSM, I just thought that there was what BDSM should be like. And that was right. how earlier experiences of BDSM was, was like, molded a lot by unsavory people from color space. That's not that's not uncommon, unfortunately, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that that's that's something that happens because especially if you're new, you don't know what the norm mm-hmm. is, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, but especially mm-hmm. I think that's I think what you're describing is unfortunately not uncommon because mm-hmm. you don't know, right? You don't know about, you know, especially if you're so eager, especially when you're new, you're very, very eager. Mm-hmm. And um so, so at what point did you realize, oh, this person is, after that scene, did you realize, oh, that crossed the line or how, how did that resolve itself? Or did you continue to play with that person until you realized, oh, I don't have to put up with this or how did that, how did that go about? So back then I was still young and exploring. I did have a few sessions with him, three of uh, had about seven sessions with him and then after a while, we just sort of grew apart, particularly because we were also both looking for other play partners back then. So after him, I did play around with a few other people. That was sort of the same experience for me because again, I got, again, I was new and I didn't have any point of references. So while play was partially consensual, there was also some parts that I did not entirely consent to. And I think for me, that was fine, although it was not the best experience. But it was only until eventually 
and I started to grow older. A few years, when I started to grow older, I became a bit more mature. I started to join the local community. And Singapore, while Singapore is a largely conservative society, there are still pockets of local communities around. And I was grateful to have met them. And when I met them, the community leaders back then would also briefly mention, also teach me more about values. And, and I think joining a local community is a great place to start because they don't, they don't just rush you. They, they don't just push you into a play party or teach you technical stuff, but they actually teach you things that are not found on the internet, such as right. values of BDSM or what is consent? How do you negotiate consent with a partner? How do you practice informed ways? What are things you should look out for? How do you practice negotiation and uh, with your play partner? And then, there was then I realized that, oh shit, what I experienced back then wasn't proper BDSM at all. Our right. community is hinged on our values and we are just not a place where people come in to get abused. Our values, consent, Importance. And I'm sure you, this is what keeps our community growing. This is how we bring in new people. We teach them. Sure. It's how we grow a valid community. So I'm curious what you think, because I, uh, I, I was talking to a dominant woman recently who said when she was playing early on, she had sort of the opposite experience of what okay. you had. She was dominant. <clears throat> And she did not understand consent violations, right? Mm-hmm. She didn't, she didn't under, you know, she, she knew about negotiation, but she didn't know about, she didn't know about full consent violations and she was very new, right? So uh, uh, she now will tell, realized like years later, holy shit, I was violating this person's consent. Mm-hmm. Like she didn't realize oh. because like she, she had, she had done things, even though that they had agreed like on A, B, C, and D, mm-hmm. she went to uh, like five or six other things that they hadn't talked about. And uh, she still, till this day, feels a tremendous amount of guilt because of this, mm-hmm. right? Because she, she did it from the opposite perspective, right? Oh, no. Um, uh, and she feels, and I, I, I'm wondering if like, do you think that this was, he was, uh, uh, inexperienced, or do you think he was just an asshole? I don't know if how he was, what was his state of mind back then. Maybe he also didn't know better, or maybe he just wanted. He was just looking for different things. He was probably just looking for a sub who he could sexually mow that was possible as well. I'm not going to defend that. Then again, right. maybe he was not part of this larger king community that has an emphasis on values i i can't say for sure um was it was it very difficult to find local community or was it pretty easy to find it or you, you said it's fairly conservative i i know like the way you described how sex education is is taught is very similar to how in parts of the south mm-hmm. here in america how how it's it's you know it's only for uh, you know, they don't teach safe sex. You're just supposed to be a virgin. You know, this this type of thing. That that's all they teach. Um, and, and I know people who are in the South, and they say it's very very difficult to find a local community in there. Even though there are kinky people, they're all in the closet, right? Like they would never right. go to a public event or something like that. So, how did you find a local community? Um, I think back then, uh, when I got started about 
twelve years ago that was about twenty 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 uh twenty eleven back then. Back then, the internet was still in the in the, the social communities on the internet was still developing, and eventually, I chanced across some local sites as well as on Fat Life. Right. And Fat Life, you start to some you start to find local communities, and yeah, I just took the plunge and went for a local event, and I was grateful right. for those opportunities. And what were what were your experiences after you found a community? How did how did how did how did your experiences change uh, when it came to play and meeting people? I think back then was a whole new world to me because I started to learn about BDSM not just for the acts itself, but also for the values that surround BDSM. And and after a couple of years, I started to explore my switch side. So that was how my journey truly morphed. From a sub, I eventually wanted to try how things was like from the switch side. And then... Can we talk about that a little bit? Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> um, do you do you remember um what it was that made you curious about switching? Do was there a specific act you were curious about? Was there a person that you were interested in that brought that out of you? Was it uh was it just pure curiosity, or or was there someone who inspired you, or a specific act that inspired you? I think it's more about just curiosity as a sub. Like after being a sub for so many years and all and all the shit that people have put me through, there was a general <laughs> curiosity to be how really be like for me to be on the opposite side. And given all the stupid shit that Tom had put me through, I sort of had an <laughs> idea of what to do to other people. Like how they used to type me. I, I was I I thought that how why can't I tie this to other people? So it was right. more of a curiosity and fun side. And of course, I also had I also started to play with some people who also switches. Then they would we would negotiate things like how about this session? I'll I'll dom you first, and after that you can dom me. And this is just how it got everything building, and I started to explore the flip side of things. <laughs> when you did start to switch, mm-hmm. were there things you were specifically drawn to, either? Um, psychologically or or specific acts that you were like that because i'm always curious like i know so i know people who are switches who they might be into uh i know some switches who are really into caning flogging mm-hmm. uh etc as submissives but they're not into it as dominance mm-hmm. and i know other people who they like the same thing as a sub as they do a dom. Like they like they enjoy both sides of the same activities. But there's other things they're like, like oh, I'll cane someone else, but I don't want anyone else to cane me. You know, or you know, did you find something like that was true, or were you sort of like, uh, you know, anything's an option? Okay, so I have a two part response to that. First part will cover the king part, the king king activity part of that, and then the second part will cover the emotional part of that. So sure. of course the king part of that was that I I was brought up to be a mesochist. So I love pain. I, I love getting cane because it put me in a very vulnerable state of mind to be begging for more or to begging for for stop, for mercy. Yeah. And I found that a release of Pent up energy and and when I became a switch, caning was of course the first thing that I loved as well. If if I love being put through the mindset as a sub, I was able to empathize and would be able to do that well. 
as a switch. So that was right. the thing part of things. I, I, I love what I used to love as a sub. But from a emotional point of view, I would always like to say that vanilla reflects our working life. We don't separate these two identities of us. And back then when I was eventually becoming a switch, in my vanilla life, I was also undergoing quite huge changes in my vanilla life. So uh, I started to become more mature and I, I started to advance up my career. I was becoming, in my vanilla role, I was becoming a team leader in my workspace. I work in advertising. So I was promoted to a manager and then I started to have some team members that I had to take care of. So when I became a manager, I started to reflect what kind of manager should I be? What kind of leader should I be? Because I, I've, as much as I had bad dorms, I also had toxic boxes. Right, <laughs> right, right. right. Think, of course. How should I right. be a good manager? And then what I realized was that as a manager, my responsibility to my 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 mentees and my juniors isn't just about ensuring that they turn out work on time. My responsibility as a manager will be to actually to ensure that my juniors and my mentees they grow together with me. So that the next time when they leave this company, they can tell people that, hey, I was I was mentored by Ash. And that's a rewarding part of the entire career to grow, to see people grow together with you. And that how is that- absolutely, I'm sorry to interrupt. That <laughs> is amazing. That is incredible. I have never, I have never heard mm-hmm. of someone taking their ethics that they learned in kink mm-hmm. and applying it to elsewhere especially especially like the business world where the business if there's one place that's lacking in ethics it's usually the business <laughs> world right yeah. so so that that is that is fascinating and so so and so I, again apologize for interrupting so how did how did how did you incorporate that how did how did that how did that look mm-hmm. as a manager so the same thing happened that what happened to me in my vanilla life started to reflect myself in my king life. As a king life, as a switch, subs come. Subs would come to talk to me, and they wanted to, especially new subs. They wanted to learn more about BDSM, and then that's where the manager side of me started to kick in. I started to listen to their stories, and I wanted to teach them more about king and about how they should grow in the community, so that of course they don't make the same mistakes as what I used to make. And yeah, so, so I remember well, there was one particular story that I found was impacted me quite a fair bit. Like, there was this particular sub who came to me. He liked wearing chastity devices. And that's fine. Chastity devices are fine and are fun as well. So at the end of the session, he did not know how to request for the key back from the dom. And the dom just left him locked up for the next few days. And I thought that as a sub, your role is to your role is also to ask to articulate your wants and needs to your dom. And just because your dom took your keys, that doesn't mean that you can't ask for the keys back. And so he went back home. He he said, and then what he told me in response was exactly what I felt back then as a sub. Like he what he said was I didn't know that I could ask for the keys back. I thought that my dom wanted to punish me for denial of orgasms that should be the norm and I should respect that. And this became a huge wake-up call for me. So because what if subs come into our our community 
And then all that they think is that BDSM is about authority, it's all about abuse, it's all about consent violation, they'll be scarred and they will leave the community and never come back again to us. And that's where my instinct as a manager started to kick in. I wanted to help new subs along their journey through King. How should someone new negotiate a scene? Be like, for example, if I wanted to play with you, I'm going to state my kings and then you're going to state yours. How do we negotiate this? Right. How do we how how should new subs spot like what are red flags in a person? And through this form of mentoring or rather coaching, I found this part of my king life quite meaningful. And that's that how amazing. I started to grow together. That was how I started to evolve as a I won't say a mentor, but yeah. Uh, that no that that that's really amazing. I mean, I think the hardest part at least I found mm-hmm. the hardest part for me as a submissive male was that it was because it was very, very, very difficult to find dominance to play with. Mm-hmm. Um, I would put up with things that I yeah. normally wouldn't oh, no. because, because it, if it took me a year to find a play partner, mm-hmm. I would, I would accept things I wouldn't normally accept because I didn't want to wait another year for another play partner, right? Because I'd be like, I'd be like, I, it took me a year to find this person, so I I have to put up with something that I don't want, you know. Mm-hmm. It, otherwise, it'll be no play for another year, right? And so I was sort of like, I it was sort of like the price I had to pay type of thing, right? Mm. Um, and I still don't know the answer, you know. And I know, I know that that the 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 right thing for me to do would have been to uh you, you know stand up for myself and mm-hmm. and not not put up with these things that I didn't want but at the same time uh I also know that it would have taken me I would have had very 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 fewer much much fewer experiences if, if by doing so right because mm-hmm. um you know there were things that that definitely crossed the line for me that were like past my hard limits that I would put up with just because I knew if, if I had to break these hard limits, at least I would still get some play. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, yes. otherwise I would get no play. Right. So there's that scarcity mindset, which is definitely not healthy, mm-hmm. but 1000% true because it, you know, if you have this need, uh, if you have this need that, uh, that gets met, it's like smoking cigarettes, right? <laughs> you have this need that, you know, is hurting you. Right. But you, but you still need it, you know, um, and, and and so uh, I always was conflicted on that on that level because it was impossible to find someone to play with, and mm-hmm. so when I did find someone to play with, if they did cross a line, I would try to like humbly suggest like maybe we do less of that or something like that, but I didn't want them to think that I was not appreciative or anything like that. So I put up with a lot of bad stuff just because. I knew it was either this or nothing, right? The fact that did you did you find that you took this manager role um, to quite a few different people? Like as as a did you find it um, uh, being a mentor pretty rewarding? Not only just because you were helping someone avoid mistakes you didn't make, but did you find a sense of? Uh, control that you enjoyed or or did you find like uh, was there a dominant side of you that was being being itch that was being scratched by directing people in the right direction 
I wouldn't say there was a domineering energy, but I'll just say that there was a mom energy. Right. I'll just say there was a mom energy to help people along their journey. And, and, and okay, so, so, so that was the time when I was a switch. And eventually, when I started to dom, when I started to dom a bit more and more, I started to ident- identify more as a dominant. And when I eventually became a when I eventually became a dom and as well as a pro, I also started to take in new dom mentees. So right. I'm sure you look through my Twitter, I do have two other current dom mentees and that's that's how my journey grew grew to being a switch, helping right. new subs along their journey to now also helping new doms along their journey. And that has been rewarding. So and also the first was... thing I teach them, okay, sorry to interrupt, but uh, like what I was always say, like what I would like to say was that teaching a new dom, the techniques of things, how to hold a cane, how to tie somebody, I think these are pretty easy because anyone can just learn how to swing a cane, to tie some shibari. Okay, no offense to shibari artists, but you can learn sufficiently enough from fans, from the internet. But the hardest things for any dom to learn is actually our values and how to represent our values and how to bring new people in now. Basically, how to become a good dom. And being right. a good dom and the difference between a good dom and a good person isn't that far off from each other. That's uh, that's really great to hear you say that because uh, you do hear a lot of people. So there's this thing, a friend of mine who is a pro mm-hmm. uh, coined this phrase, at least maybe she took it from someone else, but she said new dominance uh, get this thing that she called domitis, which mm-hmm. is they feel like they need to take on the persona of what they what they see in porn, right? Like the very strict, mm. um, humiliating. They feel like they need to take on a different persona, mm-hmm. and um, because they haven't found their own dom persona yet, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and so they feel like they need to act a specific way because that's what they've seen in TV or they've seen in porn and, or whatever. Um, do you find that to be true as well, that, that that people will have to feel like they have to act like someone else in order to take on the dominant persona? Or is there a way you've, you've found to direct people to, no, this is, you're just being closer to yourself. You don't have to be someone else. I... I... I would like to say that many of us take inspiration from our dom journey, our personas, our branding through things that inspire us. If some people get inspired to be this authoritative figure as a dominant, I think that works for them. However, some people choose that uh, their dom energy needs to be somewhat like a motherly energy like me. I think it really depends on how and where we take our inspiration from. But personally for me, I believe that even in BDSM, that shouldn't there shouldn't be hierarchies. I know we put hierarchies in play, like there's a dom, there's a sub, there's your slave, but I believe that these are just play hierarchies. But if you look at what femdom is, what BDSM is as a whole, I don't believe such structures of power actually exist. And, and even for femdom, it doesn't mean that I'm a female dom, that means I'm a hierarchy hierarchically above males. And I think that's just porn influence attitudes towards femdom porn or BDSM in general. It's sort of a reciprocal thing. Okay. Like the, uh, the, the dominant is 
needs the submissive as much as the submissive needs the dom in that sort of way, right? Yes, is that yes, what you're I, trying to say? I would say it's just yeah. I would say there's some. I would say that's true. Like it's a symbiotic relationship. Mm, yes, it's a symbiotic right. relationship. Yes, that's correct. So, what are what are the misconceptions you find when you're teaching someone new, a new dom? Mm-hmm. Um, what are the other misconceptions you find, or, or, or things that um, are there things that you you find dominants have specific goals that are in common, or is it usually specifically kink based? Like they have a specific kink focus, or do they like the power idea, or what is usually when someone first joins compared to what they experience as the time goes on through your mentorship? I think a lot of, I think for some for many of us, we all think about BDSM as about power. And I think Oscar Wilf has this quote saying that sex is about power. And I, I, that's, that's the conception of that many people have. And even with BDSM porn, people just think that, BDSM is about power and exerting their power over everyone, over yourselves. And I, I, and I, however, for me, I don't think that is true. That is viewing BDSM from a very pornographic lens of things. So I, I always believe that BDSM is about subverting traditional gender roles and tiring down these stereotypes of power that male must be in charge. And even, I, even for me, I find that even in femdom porn, it's still about the male being in charge. Yes. The male instructing the female indirectly that this is how I want to be treated. I want you to step on my boss. I want right. you to attack me. And, and that is in itself, even in femdom porn, and even in how many guys or many people envision how femdom porn is, they envision what femdom is, is still from a very sexist and misogynistic point of view that the male is always in charge. And I think that's the wrong perspective of BDSM and femdom. I completely <laughs> agree. I, 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 one thing that I've found very difficult mm-hmm. when I first got into the kink scene is, um, so I, I had a kink experience and I, and it was one of those things where I was like, oh crap, mm-hmm. uh, this is who I am. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, oh no, you know, I was, I was a little upset that I, that I realized that I needed this, you know, it was like, ah, shit, I'm not vanilla. Mm-hmm. You know, th- th- that was, that was a bad thing for me because it meant, it meant this is going to be much more difficult for me to, to get my knees met as opposed to if I was just vanilla or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I never saw any female dominant porn mm-hmm. that looked the way I felt, mm-hmm. right? Because it was always very much for the pleasure of the male, whether that was mm-hmm. the pain of the male or whatever. And it, and, and, and uh, it, was, it was very difficult to find porn where it was clear mm-hmm. that the dominant woman was really enjoying herself mm-hmm. or that, was, that it was not about him, right? Mm-hmm. And it was always such a disappointment for me. And so um, I was worried that that's how things were in real life. That that's that's how that that that's how it was, right? That there was always the humiliating dominant who mm. really hated the sub, right? Because I didn't want to be hated. I wanted to be, I wanted to be desired. I wanted to be pleasing, you know. And you don't see a lot of porn where you the the point is to please the dominant woman. Uh, uh, and maybe you've seen some. Maybe there's some out there. 
that you've seen where it's like, oh, it's clear that this is not about him. Mm-hmm. But maybe that's just capitalism. That's what sells. I don't know. <laughs> maybe. Um, There's but, a bit of capitalism even in porn. And it's right. about selling the best type of making right. content that sells and appeals to the male needs. Right. It would be very curious to know uh, there's an there's an alternate universe uh, where uh, where the communists have taken over and the porn and the porn is all f- is all female based and it's all you know you know you know what I mean and it's actually it looks probably looks completely different or something like that you know oh, um, interesting point so so let me interrupt you and draw a parallel to the vanilla world so yeah. Uh, I'm sure you have watched certain Hong Kong movies before in which yep. there's there's a story of a hempack husband. Like yeah. The husband would, would, would secretly go out to drink and smoke and then come back home to the wife, to the angry wife and say, no, I wasn't out drinking and smoking my friends. I was actually uh, with a colleague. Then the, the husband will also give a lot of his salary to the wife and then the wife goes out to buy better bags. That's your, your very stereotypical Hong Kong drama. And... However, in many to many people outside, they may actually feel that the husband is being hang, the husband in is handpacked. Right. Right. It's being cut in the way. And right, that's quite right. common in Asian societies that husbands do that. They are they, they go out to drink with their colleagues and they go out to drink with their friends and then they go back home to tell their wives and say they weren't they weren't actually drinking. They were actually are uh, doing work at the conference. And right. people may actually think that in such movies and such instances, the wife is higher than the female wife is higher than a male however in, in in how i would see that that the, the hand-packed wife the hand-packed husband does that not because he's actually of a lower status than the wife but he does that out of respect and out of love for the right. wife so in a proper relationship there's no hierarchy that doesn't mean that the male is higher or the female is higher but they do it out of love and respect for each other. And I think that right. should be the relationship between how a dom and sub should behave. A sub doesn't just obey the dom just because there's a hierarchy, but we do it out of the love for each other. And right. I think that's how dom-sub relationship should be. Um, do you find you're able to find that, like if you have a casual play with someone, mm-hmm. you, you meet someone at a party and you want to you want to play with them. They want to play with you. And regardless of whatever the scene is, how do you, um, are you able to find that love and respect for someone that you just met? Like, do you have like a general love of humanity that you are able to, you're able to put onto someone um, and just inherently respect them because they're a human being? Or do you have to, do you find you have to talk to them a little bit, get to know them a little bit as a person? How does that work for you? I mean, if it's at a play party and if, if and, and play party, if you are just exploring kings like shibari, like caning, or maybe dripping some candlewax, then that's fine. We are just doing kings for the activities by yourself. But if we are, if I'm moving into play, a proper play, at the space or at the hotel or in my space or somewhere else in which there's we are engaging in a proper play. There has to I will actually do a more thorough fact finding session. So I right. actually will have a king checklist in which they indicate what they are interested in and then I will also talk them through my process of onboarding that I will ask them what motivates you as a sub. 
what drives you as a sub? How has your journey been thus far? And I ask them when they say that they like pegging, I ask them, what do you like about pegging? And I try to dig, dig deeper into the psychology between uh, of why they do things the way they do things. Right. And through doing that, I'm able to understand a bit more about themselves, their inner psyche, and then that's how I would usually play. Right. Um, we we kind of skipped past it a little bit, but what was the... I missed your question, sorry. <laughs> No, 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 no. I, 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 I didn't ask the question. I, I, but I wanted to. I wanted to keep going before I reverted back to this question. Is, um, uh, you said you you were switching and then you started being more in the dom role. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, what was it about it? Was there something? Um, was it just a natural progression that you were like, oh, I really prefer to dom more, or was it a just a, a natural process that you? you developed more as a dom and your, your, your cravings were more dominant or, or, or how did that, how did that happen? Or was it just, or, or do you still consider yourself a switch? So, uh, I think like what we have chatted about for this entire, for this entire time was that I started as a sub, move on to a switch. So I started as part of flip side of things. That's why I moved to a switch. And then when I moved on to a switch, my, my vanilla role kicked in and I started to see this more as mentorship and helping people grow together with me. That's why my mommy side kicked in more and then I started to also evolve into being a dom. And and when I started doing pro, I was I was I was doming as well as being a switch as well. I used to have a play partner that I would used to play with. That was before the pandemic and he lived in Taiwan. So so before the pandemic, if he was in town, we would definitely play and just after the pandemic, things started. Of course, I couldn't travel over. He couldn't travel here. And then we just drifted apart because of sure. distance. And eventually, that switch part of me just disappeared because he was the only person that I would switch to. So ever since I became a dom, ever since going pro over the past few years, I haven't actually subbed in a while. And that's why do today you, do you I don't really identify as a sub anymore. Right. Do you miss it? I like, think, would you would you be open to meeting a, a dom or another switch or something like that, or someone you could switch with, or or are you? Uh, is there a craving there that that's not being met, or what is that? What is that like for you? I want to. Or is it just be? Go ahead. I want to actually say it's a craving, though. But if I happen to meet somebody, uh, love interest who is who, who is also a switch or who is also a dom, I think. I'm always open to exploring the vulnerable side of things again. If it happens, it happens. <laughs> it's, it's it, it depends on the person. It's not it's, it's, it's not a it's not a, it's not not something inherently that you're craving. It depends yes. entirely on the person. Yes, definitely. I think I have my journey in King has evolved to be more of a dom right now. <laughs> I mean, good for you for knowing that. Uh, we were talking about cravings mm-hmm. and and. Um, and I'm curious if you have, like, I know for me as a sub, sometimes I'm craving a specific activity. There's sometimes I'm, I would really like to experience this. Like, I, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's, uh, it could be, oh, I really want a caning because I want the em- emotional release of it or bondage or whatever. That I'm craving a specific thing. Do you find, and that's regardless of the person, you know, like, I'm, I'm, I'm craving the activity. Obviously, I would want it with a, 
a good person. <laughs> you know, I don't mm -hmm. want it with just anyone. Mm -hmm. But do you find yourself like sitting around the house and you're you're like, oh, I could really, I really wish I was doing this to someone right now. Do you have that as well? Or is it entirely dependent on the person and like, yeah. and, and, and what, what you get out of them? Yeah, of course. Of course I do have, I do have king cravings once in a while as a dorm at home. So I think one of my, okay. So, so for me, one of my largest king, what, what truly excites me is actually the putting, it's actually more of predicament play to put people mm -hmm. in a very, tough of tiring positions that pushes their limits and then such as predicament rope bondage position or, right. or, 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 or or caning session that puts them in a very physically and emotionally hard point of view and then I watch them push their limits and eventually and eventually get the release and if, yeah, and I find that quite exciting quite exciting for me and Likewise, when I'm so, what I'll truly crave would be to fuck people up, and that could be true, and that's usually through caning because I, I, I again, I started off as a metro chase, and caning was one of my first true loves, and yeah, that, right. that's that's a huge craving I have once in a while. But I find that the demographics of subs here in Singapore is that we are not so much into pain, not so much into heavy impact. So while I can do a good swing, I can't. I haven't done that for quite some time in Singapore. <laughs> right? Do you, uh, I've uh, other people have mentioned that just like fashion, mm -hmm. um, different kinks seem to come and go. Mm. Like popularity of kinks will come and go. <laughs> like um, uh, cuckolding, you know, or whatever, or whatever, it becomes very, very popular. And then next thing you know, um, forced feminization or, or pegging or mm -hmm. caning or bondage, like these things seem to come and go, mm -hmm. um, like, like different kinds of music are popular or something like that. Do you experience that as well as that over the years, like, Oh, all of a sudden, this is popular now, or more people are asking, or more people seem interested in a specific thing that they used to not be as much. I don't think I've seen enough submissives or talked to enough doms to be able to tell you something about that. But I, I, what I still remember was when I joined the when I started to join the scene as a switch. I think forced feminization is always a very common trend among. Male subs, they like the element of being feminized and being humi humiliated for being emasculated. I think that's still a very common trend as well as pegging. So I think these are the trends that has always been in. And it's still the most common request I get these days. Do you, ha do you have things that you, uh, that you find it's difficult for you to wrap your head around? Like you, you, it's difficult for you to understand where something comes from? Do you have anything like that? I personally, for me, I believe in king should be something that is net positive. And net positive means that the sub leaves the session feeling better about himself compared to when he started. So there are certain, and of course, there are certain plays in me that I still deem as a net negative, and there are things that I do not do. For example, certain elements of humiliation, 
since you mentioned hum- uh, sorry just to interrupt just since you mentioned humiliation earlier maybe i could provide my point of view about humiliation later on but Please. yeah certain things of certain things that are deemed ne- negative to me are things that i do not do such as humiliation play if it's rooted in trauma or certain things certain acts such as full toilet training fisting or excessive blood play i, I still think these are scenes that are net negative and i i think that i do not do it like yeah so yeah these right. are the things that will make me try to look the other way and <laughs> right, right. Kidding. yeah right right you you travel a lot mm-hmm. and and uh which is great and i'm curious about um your perspective of uh kink around the world and generally but also just attitude towards kink in different areas i know you you, you you travel quite a bit. Are there any specific things where you're like, oh, uh, Hong Kong is seems to be more focused on this. New York seems to be more like this, or, or not even just kink related, but community related. Or uh, is there anything specific that you notice uh, about these different areas? I, I think one thing I noticed. I I think. For Singapore, like what I mentioned earlier, Singapore is a very traditional Asian society. We are more, a lot of our values are molded by Confucianism, as well as as well as religion has quite a strong hold on politics and how our country how our country shapes our values. So, king is still largely under the table. Sex ed is still strongly focused on procreation, and. That is actually quite true of many other Asian states such as Hong Kong and China in which sex is still seen as a focus in procreation rather than uh, individuality and exploring sexuality. So I find that the king scene in Hong Kong is still largely underground, similar to what Singapore is. And however, when I came over to San Francisco, for my first tour last year, I was quite, I was quite surprised at the, at how King the communities here are, are organized. I was, I, I felt, I felt that Folsom Street Fair that I that I that I that I attended just back two months back. I felt it very welcome. I felt very welcoming. And when I was at Castro, the the LGBT flag, the huge rainbow flag at Castro, I felt felt like home to me because it feels right. like a community that I could belong to and a community that is safe. Like even walking down Castro Street, you can see LGBT couples holding hands and that's not a common sight in Singapore. And this truly feels like somewhere that I can belong. And that sense of belonging is something that I look forward to. But do you find um, different parts of Asia have different uh, kink focuses, like uh, uh, like a fetish that strikes strikes you, like oh wow, in Hong Kong they're much more into this versus this, or some sort of attitude uh, uh, that's different, or is it pretty much kind of universal uh, when when you're exploring? So I, I I think even when I was in Hong Kong, the local China, the Chinese or either the Hongkies. They were still, the, the kings are still similar to what I have seen in Singapore. They like the role reversal part of things. They like pegging. They like, even when they like, some of them like feminization for the humiliation, for the humiliation aspect of things. However, 
it will actually be the Caucasians, the white aspects that will actually be into pain. And I think that that's quite a similar trend to what I've seen in Singapore. It will be the white folks, the Caucasians who are into heavier pain as compared to the local Chinese. What do you attribute that to? No idea. <laughs> I, I wish I I wish I could write a paper on that. <laughs> I don't have maybe, enough data on that. Does it, are they trying to repent, maybe? <laughs> I don't have enough data on that. But yeah, There's got to be something. There's got to be something. They, they, there's some guilt, right? There, there's got to be some guilt for something. I mean, that's got to be it. Or, or I mean, or white or they're <laughs> yes. So they're they're trying to get their white guilt out of of, of uh, the horrible things we've done over the time. Um, that would be very that would be very interesting. That would be very interesting to find out. Um, the uh, uh, there's also a the idea of uh, you always hear. Um, uh, people going to other countries specifically to explore their king scene mm-hmm. out there. If it's so underground, if someone was going to Singapore, mm-hmm. how would you suggest someone finding the local king scene? Is fat life the best way to do it? Is it uh, contacting you and asking you for advice on how to find it or what? I still think fat life is a great resource for anyone that's new to king. It's a great place to find who are the community leaders. It's a great place to find events, to find community groups. And yes, please do try Fat Life. Don't don't just listen to me. I'm just a pro here who, is just, who may not have the best experience, who may not be the best Tom out there. But yes, try I, Fat I think, Life. I think you're underselling yourself. I think you're oh. underselling yourself a little bit. Yet. Um, <laughs> I'm curious about the... Uh, so something you hear, at least in... Uh, often is New York is, uh, at least in the, in the United States, there's this stereotype. I don't know if it's true or not, but there's a stereotype that um, uh, New York City is more uh, hardcore. It's more about the physical sensations. It's more about pain. It's more about, um, it's more about, it's more about the activity, whereas in California, is more about the spiritual aspects of it. It's more about the, you know, the hippie. Uh, you know, it's more about the emotional state. It's more about uh, about. Does that make it? Am I making any sense that it's more? It's more spiritual as opposed to New York is more about the physical and cold and and uh, uh, less heartwarming or something. I don't know what the word is, but. Have you noticed that to be true in between New, not just between New York, but also maybe between other places as well that the the vibe is different in different parts of the world? I think between between the Bay Area and New York, for all the tours that I've done here, I was quite well warmly welcomed by the local community. So I I can't say for sure that New York is cold and about the physical about physical pain. I I, I can't say that for sure. I don't mean about about how they welcome other people. I mean more about the play so. attitude, like the vibe during the play, right? Hmm. I I don't think I have I don't think I have I have had enough sessions for that that I can compare with. I'm not a local after all, but 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 do you think that's true for yourself? Is that why you came to that conclusion? I've never been to California, so I couldn't speak for myself. But I have been to events where mm-hmm. there were uh, there were you know people from all over the country and it seemed like the uh, Californians like they, they would meditate 
a little bit more. It could have been very specifically to the event that I was in, but I've heard this from other people as well, that, that Californians will sometimes say, my God, you New Yorkers are really extreme. And, you know, uh, but uh, maybe that's, maybe that's changed. Um, what about the, uh, there's a stereotype, another stereotype or, or, or almost a truism at this point that mm-hmm. um, when it comes to the play scene, there are far more submissives than there are dominants. And this, this is true for both. Uh, there, there are more submissive males than there are dominant males. There are also more submissive females than there are dominant females and, 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 uh, and uh, female identified people and male identified people. Is this true in your experience? Uh, 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 if so, why do you think that is? Yeah, I, I I think for most king communities and even for swing communities, it's always a sausage fest. <laughs> it's always <laughs> a sausage fest everywhere. I, I think that's, that's, that's right. true for both swing, king, and everywhere else around the world. I would still say that between the genders, males tend to be more they tend to be more expressive when it comes to exploring their sexual, their sexual desires. So that's why it is, there has always been more males than females in King communities in, in Singapore and in the US. But yeah, and, 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 and I think you're right. There has, there's always more submissives than dominance. And that's, it's, has always been something that's quite interesting. Do, what are your takes on that? Do you, do you think it's uh why do you think they're more submissive than dominants? Well, I think there's a few things. First of all, I think the reason why there's so many more males is that it's, is that, um, is a safety thing, right? Um, uh, males generally don't, uh, have to worry about their safety as much. Mm-hmm. At least it's not on the top of their minds, sure. right? The other aspect too, is that if you're new, mm-hmm. If you're new to kink, it's easier to have something done to you mm-hmm. than yeah. it is to, to do something right? to others. Right. It requires skill to do some of the, you know, to tie someone up. It requires skill to, even though I do not think, you know, I don't personally believe that a, a dominant needs to know how to do rope or throw a flogger or cane to be a good dominant. You know, I, there, there's a billion and one other things one can do that has nothing to do with, with a tool or a rope or anything like that. But I think there's a lot of people who, are, who, who want to experience it, but don't feel like they have the skills required. And so maybe what they do is they think, well, maybe I'll start as a submissive and work my way up. And maybe they go, oh, I just like it as a submissive. So that's fine. But um, and then of course you have just normal patriarchy of what's built into the system, right? Of of uh, women being submissive and you know and it being beaten into and men being <laughs> dominant, you know, being beaten into their heads that men have to be in charge, men have to be you know, and this is what masculinity looks like, right? That type of thing. Um, I think also that's why there's a lot of shame that a lot of males have about submission yes. is because if um, it took me a while to figure out my type of submission because mm-hmm. I thought I, my, my sense of submission was always from porn. Right. Mm-hmm. And it was always the worthless, humiliated, mm. you know, worthless worm stereotype, which I did not associate with at all, you know, and it took me a while before I, I realized and it's sort of like how they say finding your voice, you know, you, it takes you a while to find your voice. It took me a while to find my mm-hmm. submissive voice and, and realize what, 
my submission looked like. And it did not look like anything that was in porn, you know? Um, and I think there's just a lot of miscommunica- miscommunication and misunderstanding. But again, the reason why there's so many male submissives is because a lot of the kink porn is male submissive, hmm. female dominant, right? Um, and so that's what they're getting. And so that, <laughs> and, and, and a lot of them think that that's what it, the, it will be like, like when they in real life, right? Um, I think gender stereotypes are still at play when it comes to porn. And yeah. it's always, uh, just like in society, males are always the dominant creatures. So there's a certain allure to being a submissive, to give up power. And right. that's why males tend to see being a submissive as a forbidden fruit, an, an activity that is a forbidden fruit. And that's why, and, and, and similarly, likewise, society still portrays females as a weaker sex. So when females come into BDSM, then their nature inclination is to just be a submissive. Right. To let someone else take control. And, right. And, and I always thought that gender roles has always been quite problematic in BDSM, even though it's about sh- shifting things, about femdoming means the females is on top, but gender stereotypes are still at play in BDSM, and that's a perception that I would like to see that changed. Yeah, it's and it's difficult to change. It's very difficult to change, right? I mean, where do you even start? I mean, it, I guess one person at a time is that <laughs> is that the only way to do it? Maybe the com- maybe that's why there's there's a community. You're here to help new people in King. That's why you're doing this podcast so that we can share proper values to us. BDSM. Well, I hope I hope so. I hope so. Um, well, this was a been a, this has been a great conversation. I'm glad we finally were able to find time to do it. Yeah. Um, maybe next time you're in New York, we can sit down in person again. But even if you even if you don't come to New York for years and years, I hope you'll sit down like this again because I, it, it feels like we have so much more to talk about. Yeah. But, uh, and I would uh, 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 going through your blog. Is it okay if I if we have a link to your blog and your website on this? So uh, there's so much uh, on your blog that that, that is uh, really in depth and some really insightful stuff that I found really really a great read. So um, we'll have a link to your your different social media. We'll have a link to your your blog as well. And uh, and if and if you're going to Singapore, definitely uh, drop an email to get some advice on places to go and and people to meet. So thank um, you. <laughs> thank you very much. This was great. Thanks for your time today.